Welcome to Breaking Down Bits, a conversation about great comedy bits with the comedians who wrote and performed them. Welcome to Breaking Down Bits. I'm Brian Gendron. Hey, what's up? I'm Drew Jordan. And we're excited to, I mean, we're almost through the majority of season two. Uh, and it's been an absolute blast kind of, kind of as we, as the show kind of progresses, you know, we're, we're kind of picking in into different things with the, with the comics and it's been a really fun season to see how things are kind of shifting and really digging into the business side a little more in the podcast, hearing people's kind of big breaks and how they got there has been one of my new favorite things that we've kind of digging into. So I'm excited. Also having a lot of fun with the, uh, the, uh, uh, open mic that we're doing on Tuesdays. Those have been great. Yeah, open mics have been great. And certainly if you have not listened to some of our past episodes, uh, please catch everything at breakingdownbits.com. There is information about the open mics that we run. Uh, so we're just trying to help everybody learn and grow as comedians and comics. And this has been a great way to do it. So let's get into callbacks to with our last episode with Ian Lara. What you got, Drew? Okay, well, I wouldn't say we spent a ton of time on this in the episode, but I thought it was very good. He mentions about how one that your jokes need to match your look a little bit. Like there's just some as from the always thinking about your performance from the audience perspective a little bit is important, but we talked about how conversational he was and he says he uses that technique in a sense to hide the punchline. So I, in my head, you know, sometimes when someone says a premise, it just can sound so contrived and jokey that you're, you're very prepared Almost like, you know, you don't get knocked out when you're fighting. You don't get knocked out when you're prepared and you see the shot coming. You, you get knocked out when you don't see it coming. So really loved his thing. He goes, being conversational hides the punchline. I'm, I'm sneaking it in there because they, they're breaking down their walls. We're just having a conversation. And all of a sudden, the punchline gets them. And uh, I really like that. That was, a, that was a great analogy. And I enjoyed uh, that portion of the conversation a lot. Absolutely. And this is one of those episodes where uh, we put it out on Saturday. I got a lot of feedback. People reached out to me online saying that they loved the episode. And I'm like, let me go back and listen to it myself, which I don't always do this quickly. Uh, and, and I learned a ton. One of the things that stood out for me in our discussion with Ian was just always be prepared and show up. And he mentioned, put in the effort. And he said, other comics will take notice. And that, of course, was instrumental in his career. I think he specifically said Mark Norman had, had really taken him under his wing and helped him get some of those early big breaks. And so if you show up, you put in the effort, other comics will take notice. Uh, sounds very powerful. If you haven't listened to it, like I said, get out there on breakingdownbits.com. It's where you can find it. Uh, you can also follow us and tag us and all that fun stuff on social media, Breaking Down Bits. Uh, I think it's breaking down bit if you're a Twitter on, person. On Twitter, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no, but no S. yeah, drop the S. We only break down one bit, but uh, otherwise it's breaking down bits. Want to bring in our guest? Let's do it. I be- 
Joelle Nicole Johnson is a Brooklyn-based stand-up comedian, writer, and actress. She made her network TV debut on Late Night with Seth Meyers and most recently wrote for the final season of Broad City. She's performed on Comedy Central's Comics to Watch, Laugh Tracks for True TV, and was featured on the final season of HBO's Crashing. Joelle was selected for the 2018 Fox Comedy Showcase, was a finalist in NBC's Stand Up for Diversity Showcase, and has performed at festivals including Sketchfest, Bonnaroo, the New York Comedy Festival, and Bumbershoot. Welcome, Joelle. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, so glad to have you on. The Quite an impressive resume with your comedy and also your writing. I was very excited to see that you are a writer on, on Broad City, which is such a great written show. Oh, yeah. Such a freaking great show. I'm so happy. I It was weird because I put it on my vision board. Um and one of my friends saw it on my vision board two years prior. I put right like a show. Yeah. Like a show kind of like Broad City. I wrote that on the board. And then two years later, I was in that writer's room. So crazy. And then Pete Holmes is like my spirit animal. So the fact <laughs> that you were like anywhere connected with him, we, we were like, I read his book, uh, Comedy Sex God. And I was like, dude, you just you just wrote my life story. I can't now write my life story because my life story is your life story. <laughs> he stole it from you. Yeah, I, I still get residuals from those episodes. Fantastic. Yeah. That, that is one of my favorite things to recommend to comics. Uh, of course, nobody had, none of them have HBO. I'm like, all right, use my password for a little bit. Go watch Crashing. Uh, you'll you'll love it. But I do. That is, I remember seeing you on that, and that's that's excellent. So. Oh. so thanks, thanks for joining us. Uh, normally in New York, but now in Atlanta, down yes. south. I'm a little Southern girl now uh, coming to you from Fulton County. <laughs> so yeah, we're down here. Uh, I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah. Actually, what's the, what, if it's okay to chat, like what, why, why the move away from New York? Was it COVID related or just like uh, externally? Completely COVID related. My parents live down here and I was like, look, if we're going to be in an apocalypse, I want to be near my mommy. <laughs> so, I was like, Atlanta is a great city. They, you know, they do a lot of uh, filming down here and things like that. So I, I got down here, got an agent. It was crazy. Um, awesome. So it's it's good for the career and good for family. And cheaper rent, duh. Just cheaper yeah. rent. It couldn't be more expensive, right? <laughs> I mean, Jesus. I'm like, I'm not sitting in this box for the next year with no central air. Yeah. Gosh, <laughs> that's a tough, that's a tough call. Yeah. <laughs> well done. So let's let's get started. One of the first things we like to do, of course, is called breaking down bits. And we talk a lot about writing on the back half of the show. But in the beginning, we like to talk about the breaks in your career. So uh, you obviously we, we looked and you got a lot of credits and done a lot of cool things. And I'm sure we're going to continue as your career continues to grow. But tell us early on, because we have a lot of newer comics in here. What were some of the things that you were doing that you think helped you get ahead in your career? OK, um, watching Number one, that's just like you got to be a student of the game. So I sat there probably for at least a year watching comedians before I even decided to try to get on the stage because I was just like, I think I can do this. I'm just scared. <laughs> and so with the observation and everything, that was one of the biggest things earlier. And then asking comedians for advice. I asked everybody I saw for advice my first year or two in comedy. Nice. And you get, and you got some, you feel like you got some good feedback from people willing to open up. 
Oh, yeah. Two of my favorite pieces of advice. One guy told me if I'm ever having a conversation with somebody just regular and I make them laugh, write it down. And it's possibly something that can work on stage. And then I met Chappelle my first year in comedy. And he said, I got two pieces of advice. Number one, don't listen to what anybody says, including me. And he was like, with that being said, move to New York. And I was living in L.A. I started comedy in L.A. So when I moved to New York, it turned my comedy up, you know, a hundred times. Is that just because you think that's just because of the stage time that's available or what or the competition? What did it? Competition, stage time. I mean, you can get on stage six times in one night in New York. Um, And then when you're actually getting booked at the comedy clubs, you can make money. You can do three, four sets in one night, especially on the weekends and make some good money. Nice. Yeah, that's that's the dream for all, especially in COVID. Boy, that's just like a fever dream now. Like we're all we all think back to all the all the open mics and all the shows that were going on and throughout the week, how much you were on stage. And now it's just like it's a battle for it to get yeah. just a couple of mics in a week here in Houston. Like it, it's kind of coming back, but, you know, it's uh, it's different times. I've been thinking about that, too. I was like, oh, my goodness. I'm thinking of the comedians who just started right before COVID hit. Like, I, I wouldn't imagine, like, how that must be right now. Yeah. Well, we started running an open mic with uh, with people who who watch the podcast. That's been one way just to get people kind of still working, you know, even though it's obviously online is not the preferred way to do it. It still is good to get feedback. It's a way to get to test out bits for the other comics and stuff. And it's been beneficial, yeah. but. Yeah, nothing nothing replaces stage time. I, I don't Not know. at all. And another piece of advice was get get used to silence. And when you're on stage and so uh the co- the Zoom shows will get you used to silence, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, get used to it, get comfortable in the get silence. Comfortable in the silence, yes. What, are you so it sounds like maybe you've done a little bit of the online comedy? Yeah, I do a Zoom show like about once a week or so. Mm-hmm. You know. And I, I, you know, I'm thinking, and, and I'd like to hear your guys' thoughts on this. I'm thinking it's it's something I might want to build into my process, even post pandemic. And let me tell you why: uh, the online mics that we've been doing with the uh, with the people, it's been people from all over the world, which is great and, and very unique. Uh, so it allows you to test your material on different people, but also it's not competitive. Like if you do a workshop in your home in your home city in your you know in your home scene there's that innate competitiveness to it that that's built into it it seems like and here you get it's a true feedback mic and people are seem to be more open with giving you tags so it's yeah. almost like a stop before you take some material to the open mic just to get it open mic ready am i thinking about this right i would agree with that but also it's like when you're doing especially in new york uh, an open mic you're facing a bunch of comedians with their heads down in their notebooks. So that's another way to get used to silence. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And I think it's important to be able to perform for different audiences across the world, like you said, because when I went to Amsterdam, I realized how many of my bits had pop culture references that were specifically American. And then you get to another country and you're like, oh, y'all don't watch that show or y'all don't have that food item. And so my joke falls flat, you know, that's gotta be tough. Yeah. Yeah. And they also don't laugh in Amsterdam, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> Little known fact, no laughing. No laughing. No laughing. Laugh. Polite drug- smiling. That's just- Drugs are allowed <laughs> laughing. Polite <now>. smile. <laughs> that's funny. So, so we're, one of the things that we'd like to hear about is that maybe that first, uh, First, like credit, I guess we'd say we can call it the first credit that you got uh, TV credit, maybe. Uh, How did that come about? 
I guess my my first credit would probably be the True TV Laugh Tracks show. Um, I booked that without a manager. Oh, wow. um, I I forget where we shot it because I think I was flown out. You know, you feel it yourself. You get flown Chicago, out. Chicago, right? Chicago was the second seat, the second oh. season, the first season. Actually, it was L.A. L.A. was the first season. And, you know, it feels so amazing. That first time you get flown out somewhere to perform, it's like, oh, I can make my mother proud. I'm making money. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I got that from knowing one of the producers who knew my work. And um, they booked me on the show. And, uh, yeah. That was my first true, true laugh tracks on true TV was my first TV credit. Sometimes the uh, networking pays off. Sometimes, you know, some people who have a project and they, yeah, what a good it really does. And I feel like that's what Los Angeles taught me because you're going to get less stage time in LA, but a lot of networking. I mean, mostly people are just hanging out <laughs> because yeah. there's no stage time. I mean, early in my career, I would get bumped by Bill Burr because he's coming in to work on a, you know, a late night set and you're just sitting there you're like, hey, most people would be upset about that. But I'm like, I get to watch Bill Burr work at his late night set. So I'm not yeah. upset about that, you know? So uh, yeah, a lot of that from LA, the networking is what I learned in LA and then New York, I got the gritty stage time. Gotcha. And and I love that laugh track format because the way that they do it, Drew, and I don't know if you've seen it, I think you have, uh, where they actually have actors act out your comedy, which is awesome because I'm a, I'm a more of a storyteller type and, and as, as are you, at least from what I've seen in, uh, you know, that, that, that puts you in that frame of mind. What if, what if somebody was to produce your bits and, and how vivid can you make that? Right. And that, that helps me as a storyteller be better on stage, I think. Yeah, it really does. Because when the, when I saw some of the girls acting out my bit, I was like, wow, I wouldn't even have thought to do it like that. You know, where they say comedy is the truth meets exaggeration. It's like, I'm exaggerating with my words. And then I see somebody exaggerating it with their, you know, affectations and things. And I was like, wow, I wouldn't even have thought of that. So it was super cool to see my joke put to life like that. Did you tell it differently after that, after seeing it that way? Actually, that first bit I put to bed. <laughs> I put that joke to sleep. Um, the second one I did, it was so funny because I actually ended up getting a lot of followers off of that first set. It was so weird because it was hosted by this comedian, Cypher Sounds, who's a DJ in New York. Mm -hmm. And I told him, I was like, I got about 2,000 followers off that thing. I was like, really? Right. Like, he didn't even know <laughs> the show was that popular. I was like, yo, it was crazy. It turned up my social media following. I was like, okay. Yeah. Cool. I like that as the, I like that, like, I, I don't do a lot of storytelling in my yeah. personal comedy at this point, but I, I love just like Brian said, even just watching those from of, of your jokes, I was like, Oh, I should, this, what, a, this is a different way to write for me to think about, okay, when I, when I'm telling a joke, how cinematic can I make it in my head and how, you know, how can I write jokes that would play out well in that format? That's just, a, I think that's a smart way and an inch, a more, different approach for me that I really just enjoyed thinking through when you see that happen. I also think it's most people like have their thing, you know, where uh, some people are good at one-liners. I'm not, 
I, I'm very verbose. I'm very like, I'm, I'm a storyteller just through and through where I can tell a short story, but a short story is like good three minutes at least. So yeah. if I have a six, seven minute set, that's going to be two bits. About. <laughs> Your set I'm the, are very short. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> very short. I'm the same way. Like I find it hard to get, you know, do a five minute set on like an open mic or whatever. It's hard for me. Cause like if I get the light, I, I can't start something new. I just, I, it, right. I'd run the light. And yeah. so, uh, and so that do you, do you, I'm sure, do you find it challenging with some of those restraints, not necessarily five or even longer sets, 10, 15, where you yeah. can't get into a new story because you run out. Well, I actually had that happen with my late night set with my oh. set, not your set. So I was, you're it's a five minute set, right? Mm-hmm. And they cut you off at five fifteen. So if you go over five fifteen, they're going to edit it. And another another piece of advice is you don't want to give them too much to edit because people who are editing aren't usually comedians. So <laughs> they'll just chop your bit up and you're just like, that's not even funny anymore. <laughs> like, yeah. I would have never put, told that bit like that. So when I got booked for the show, the booker told me like three specific bits that she liked of mine. Mm-hmm. And there's a counter right under the camera it's a red counter that's counting down and I'm looking at that counter and I got off at four minutes and 45 seconds because I couldn't start the last bit. Cause it would have taken me to at least six minutes. And I like, y'all ain't paying me for that. I'm putting this on another, uh, <laughs> another special. <laughs> it's still a great set. Even without your closer, it was still a great Thank set. Thank you. Yeah. Cause she was like, what happened to the other bit? I was like, girl, that, that story's like two and a half minutes. I didn't have that <laughs> Yeah, I've heard that you nerve wracking, man. I can't imagine. Oh, my God. Like the scariest moment of my life. I say I have like three scariest moments and doing late night. Like when they pull the door, there's an actual dude who pulls the door. It's not electric. So he's like I hear Seth on the other side and I'm like, (sighs) like I'm freaking (laughs) out. And he turns to me and he goes, are you ready? And I was like, mm, <laughs> I just took a big deep breath and he opened the door and I went out and I blacked out. I don't, I don't even know what was happening. <laughs> oh man. That's yeah. That's before. like, I thought I was ready until you asked me and now I were right. gonna... like, what? I felt, I felt attacked. <laughs> man, you really, you don't need that right before you get out. You don't need somebody to, to, Hey, are you ready? Like to just mm, leave me alone. Like let me I'm here. So whether I'm ready yeah. or not. Yeah, it's happening. So don't trip over your boots. Why did I wear these high heels? Why did I wear these high heels? Don't fall. That was my biggest thing. Just don't fall. And they always say, like, make sure you have your set on autopilot because you're not going to be thinking about the words that are coming out of your mouth. And I totally wasn't. I was like, why is my hand shaking? Why is my hand shaking? I was like, put your hand in your pocket. Now you look dumb with your hand in your pocket. Get out of your pocket. Switch the microphone to the other hand. These are the things that were going through my head. Like pull out the Amazon fire stick. Exactly. I was like, is the Amazon fire stick in this pocket? Am I going to look dumb? I'll pull it out. I was just like, and then, but I'm speaking. Yeah. A lot of times when we do, when we talk to people about their late night sets, they, they always mention the cutting and the editing. How, what was your experience with um, jokes they wanted to cut or anything like you have any experience with that? No, because I only gave them four minutes and 45 seconds. I so mean, I but specifically but did, like you're not cutting, you're not cutting anything. Because submitting, you're talking about, Drew, you're talking about top, like submitting it to like, standards and practice. It was what the, yeah. we've heard. Did you, have, yeah. did you get your written jokes or anything like that beforehand to get approved? I actually didn't have to. The booker came to see me 
And um, I was a last minute replacement. So I found out like she came to see me on a Sunday. I found out on a Tuesday and I taped on a Thursday. It's usually much like a couple more weeks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm happy that I had that time because I, I didn't have too much time to freak out. Yeah. But she didn't make me write every word out. She just was like, I like those three bits, so just do those. And she pretty much gave me like pretty, a lot of agency to do what I wanted. Uh, Seth's show isn't as strict as others that I've heard where you have to literally, like I'm doing a, a yeah. corporate event next, and they're like, you have to write every single word that's submitted to the producer before I do the show. That's exhausting just to think about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, oh, I curse a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's the, the autocorrect is really hopping in there for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ducking, what? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm never so, ducking autocorrect. So we do uh, we do quite a bit of, obviously we're, we're stand-up comedians and the show is mostly focused on stand-up, but we do find it intriguing to talk quite a bit about writing. And you've, you've obviously got some interesting writing credits. Do you want to talk about, about that? transition uh or or that world a little bit yeah i mean i think in all of us people that want to do stand-up there's a writer in there somewhere because of the fact that we write our own bits and i never thought i would be like a good sketch writer but then one of my friends was like sketch is literally just your stand-up in a different format and Mm -hmm. once i was able to reformat my brain to be like oh okay when I'm writing in a script, if I would say something that I could write that down, you know what I'm saying? So like, if I'm looking through the script, I'm like, Oh, okay, just talk it out. And if I'm talking it out that way I can write it and then it could, you know, come to life that way. So I think the transition is just like, you just have to write to practice, practice is doing, doing, you know, practicing it. So I wrote my own pilot, I, you know, and then you can transition and have that writing piece, to submit to people to get hired for jobs. Um, so, yeah. And then writing for other characters, that's obviously something, I imagine something you've done. Uh, how does how that differ for you? Or does that differ? Um, I think it's what, what I've realized for the most part, especially with acting is that most people aren't acting. Most people are writing, are just do, being a version of themselves. So when you're writing, you're writing a version of yourself. So I think when people pick shows that speak to them, it's because you might be like that character and you can speak for that character. So Broad City, I'm like, Alana is people's best friends in in their head. And I was like, I was easily able to write for Alana and Abby because of the fact that I saw myself in their characters being a pothead and a New Yorker. So (laughs) it's like, right, you know, they say, write what you know and... I was able to pull that off because I knew them. Yeah. Was that transition like when you like you just talked about kind of going from a stand up bit to a sketch? There's obviously some some similarities there. Did you do that alone or was there like did you get with someone else to figure out how or did you just kind of go sit and go, OK, I'm going to figure this out? Um, I'll always help. It takes yeah. a village. Um, <laughs> you always got to get help. The first pilot I wrote, I wrote with a friend of mine um, that we were. I was teaching at a school and we wrote a pilot about our job. And so he helped me write it. And then I was able to transition from that to writing my own pilot. And my manager helped me with that, where I'm like, okay, I wrote this. She would come back with questions for me about the characters and things like that. So I always encourage people to have a buddy or somebody that can check 
and balance their stuff. Because when you're in your own head, it's like, is this even funny anymore? I've read it 10 times and I hate it now. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. I I love co-write. I I really enjoy co-writing, but it's really hard to find the right person to co to do some co-writing with us you can't just do it with anybody it's got to no. be you've got to share a vision to some degree i feel like yeah you totally do and there's certain people where you're just like oh i wouldn't have never thought of that which is what i appreciate appreciate with co-writing because it takes me out of my brain because you know i'm only going to be thinking of the things i'm thinking of so when somebody else comes in i get their perspective yeah super fun so it's probably a good transition, Drew. Uh, we, it's, we, we try to do this open-ended and we've kind of hit on this a little bit already. But if we were to just to ask, uh, how do you write comedy? Ooh. <laughs> how do we end racism? Um, <laughs> that's a, how do I write? I, am a t- I talk to myself. Mm-hmm. I'm the person you see walking down the street straight talking to myself that's that's why i love living in new york because if there ever was a city (laughs) um walking down the street and that that's how i write i'm not i can't pen and paper and write down that's not my my process my process is talking it out i'll talk to my um notes in my phone i'll voice record something because that way i'm like oh if i say it out now I'm further enough in my career that I'm like, oh, that's going to be funny. Like, I, I can know that now. It took 14 years, but I know that now when I'm doing it. So talking to myself as I walk down the street. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing we're hearing more and more from, from a lot of comics. And I know that when I first started trying to write, it was always pen and paper because that's, I don't know, I, you just like Seinfeld did it that way or something. Yeah. So we, we all have to do it that way now. Yeah, that's um, naturally, right? Right. But then the more you do it, you realize that I talk and I write so differently that these are two different parts of my brain. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, you need the, the I, I love the jokes that I accidentally create more just from talking out loud than when I sit down and go, all right, Drew, let's write a funny joke now. And right. And the same thing comes with conversations with people where it's like I that's how I got into comedy, because I would be having people cracking up when I'm telling them a story. And so that made me be like, oh, OK, I can tell what's funny based off of conversations I've had with people as well. And that, yeah. that kind of goes back to the initial advice you got, right? If I made somebody laugh, make sure you, you make a note uh, and then, and it sounds like talk it out. So do you specifically go on like comedy writing adventures <laughs> through the city, just walking around talking to yourself? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna... uh, there's a thing called the Beltline out here, which is just like a bike walk path. So I'll walk that. I walk around the house. I'll be pacing around the house like a crazy person. Um, <laughs> Yeah. And sometimes I can sit. I don't necessarily have to be walking. I can just sit talking to myself. But it's fun when I would be on the subway in New York. I love doing it on the subway. (laughs) Well, and I find so I I write a lot of my stuff while I'm exercising. Uh, I do do a lot of running outside and you kind of get in this meditative state. The blood gets flowing and that's when jokes seem to come to me the best. So I'm kind of the same way. And then I do the crazy talk it out talk it out to myself in the car or wherever yeah. I can find it. I'm a little bit, it sounds like I'm a little more shy about who sees me doing that than you. I get embarrassed if I, if even like my kids saw me talking oh. about it. I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like if you moved to New York, that would bust it right out of you because everybody's talking about yeah. New York. So yeah. like, what? Also public crying in New York. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> 
public thing? Oh, I thought you said crime, but then you said crying, which crying. is also, yeah. Crying I, it, it's yeah. There's that weird thing about New York. Like obviously, don't live there. Every time I've been, you you kind of like you know there's a vibe. Like don't talk to people. Like I'm. <laughs> I grew up in East Texas where like you make eye contact with everyone at the store. Howdy. How, yeah. Morning. How's it going? <laughs> uh, that is not something apparently you do in New York. And so I was on my best behavior the last time I was in town and I turned a corner. I was going to this, I think I was going to the stand or something. And I turned a corner and this lady dropped like all this food onto the sidewalk, like right in front of me. And I was like, you're not supposed to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, it like locked me up. Cause I was like, I should help. You can't help. I should, I can't New York. Ah, it was a, it was a whole problem. Yes. New York will turn you into a monster is basically the moral <laughs> of the story. Like I just, I couldn't even, I don't know. I had a mental reboot right then. Yeah. And I had to readjust now because people make eye contact down here and say hello. And yeah. you know, in New York, you're like, I don't trust you. And now you're like, oh, I'm in the South. This is just yeah. what we're, so we're supposed to do. I don't know. I was, that's the way I was raised. So it's kind of I have to re hardwire myself differently. Yeah, <laughs> it is a different side of the brain. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a good question. Have you been getting stage? You've been doing stage time in Atlanta. You've been been up doing stand up. I'm not doing uh, outdoor shows. No, I'm in my house. With okay. Okay. Yeah. I was going to ask about if the, if the crowds developing material in Atlanta is different versus New York, but maybe that's. Oh, for sure. I mean, I've, you know, I've been all over the country and developing material everywhere. You'll have different reasons for different shows of why a bit didn't work. Um, another piece of advice, if you have a bit, you got to try it out at least three times in front of three different audiences before you, you know, whether or not, it's good. Um, and I've had the privilege of being able to have like all black audiences, all white, all old, all young, you know, it's like every type of dem demographic I've performed in front of. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think that's something that a, a newer comics always struggle with mm -hmm. is why a bit works one night and not the next or in the same night you do two <laughs> sets and you do the, you feel like you deliver it the exact same way but then it just, it kills one time and falls so flat the next. Why does that happen? Um, are you asking me or was that a I mean, rhetorical? Both. I mean, if you have an answer, I'd love to hear Cause just from someone who's is more experienced or as experienced as you are, I'd love to hear. Yeah, no, there literally is no rhyme or reason. So like one of my favorite things that I've ever done in my career, I got passed at the cellar uh, in 2016 and I was able to work, you know, for four years, three years um, before everything shut down. And we would have two, three, four, five sets a night. And you couldn't even get attached to a negative or a positive outcome because I would go one set crush, second set mediocre, third set a little less than mediocre. I mean, you're never really going to bomb at the cellar because everybody's so happy to be there. But you'll just be like, oh, I did the same set three times in a row and had three different reactions. So I think one of the biggest things is not to get attached to any of the reactions, whether it be great or bad, because you're still powering through. You just got to power through and know okay. that I'm funny. Right. <laughs> so you think the the key maybe just be to let time tell, like just give, give, give those jokes more time on stage and, and then you'll eventually you'll know for the, the, how it's going to end up. Yeah. And also there's situations where you have your bit that, you know, is tried and true and somebody in a group don't laugh. And I'll be like, 
something wrong with them. <laughs> like, <laughs> something wrong with y'all. That's one of my closers. And if, if y'all can't laugh with, with this, then yeah. um, then this is just not a good set. And sometimes that's the case. And we can't take those moments personal. Well, it depends on the audience. I mean, I know for us, you know, there's a lot of bar shows. And just getting someone's attention at a bar show is a win, much less getting them to actually focus on what you're saying. And if they're not if they're not paying attention, they're not going to laugh. Like there's yes, which is impossible for storytellers. As well. I'm sure Brian knows, because mm-hmm. long ass story. If you're not paying attention from the beginning, yeah. I I can't get you. So um, I I once again like it was a struggle earlier, but now that I'm more established, I'll just be like, well, they're not listening. So let me power through and hurry up and get off this damn stage. <laughs> It's good to know that the, you, you just deal with that. That's just part of comedy. Some nights, some sets are going to be like that. Does, and I, you get to a place, I guess, where you just care less and you have more self-confidence and you know what's right and you don't let those one-off shows. Yeah. The more, the more you're on stage, the more self-confidence you are building. And to know that if you care enough, sometimes the audience just isn't there and that's okay. So the, the next thing we like to know about, you talked about, you know, having sets at the cellar, you know, three, four a night. How do you prep for something like that? How do you prep for a set? Do you write out set lists? How do you, how do you prepare for your show? Um, I would write out set lists sometimes, but it would just, it would just kind of depend because like, for, like the first year <laughs> I was so scared. Like there were, there were times I had to follow I had to follow Chappelle. <laughs> I had to follow my first night. I had to follow Louis C.K. in my audition. This And this is before all the crazy shit went down. And I was so nervous <laughs> to have to go and do a five minute audition um, after him. So like at the cellar, is that what you? Yeah, my audition. I had wow. to follow Louis in my audition. <laughs> so <freaking> terrifying. <laughs> so basically that first year I was doing like one set. I was pretty much doing the audition set that SD the booker loved plus a couple more things because it's showtime there. You know, it's show, it's not really experimental. Mm-hmm. But then by the time third year, I was like, Oh, I can frame it where great stuff at front, great stuff in the back. And I can try a new joke or two in the middle. Which I was really feeling myself. Once I started trying new jokes at the cellar, I was like, "Oh, bitch, you, you <laughs> like don't get cocky, but you you might be a little comfortable." Not comfortable. Yeah. That's got to be a great feeling when you're treating the cellar like a like a open mic or a place to try. Yeah, to because you'll hear people say it, and 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 it was insulting when I first started. But then I was like, "You have to because of the fact that it is showtime, and I can sneak a new bit in here because you're you're laughing so hard, and that's what you should be doing." Not at the cellar, you know, you can be doing that other places as well. But uh, getting into that rep, I was doing the same set for like a year and a half. (laughs) So we talked about just your general writing and your prep for a set. What about like just the moments before you step on stage? Do you have any sort of uh, setup that you do or any sort of pregame rituals? Depending on where I was. um, For Seth Meyers. I was pacing and this is a, a fun, interesting story. So they, there was, is that 30 rock and it's on the same floor as SNL. Oh, nice. So I didn't realize that until I walked out of my dressing room and turned right. And I was like, Oh shit, that's the SNL stage. 
I was like, okay. And there's a big old hallway. So I was like, let me pace back and forth this way. And I'm nervous as heck. I'm pacing back and forth. And then I just see this, um, this white girl walking towards me and she, her face looked like she saw a ghost. Like she looked terrified. And I was like, her face looks like what my face looks like. <laughs> and I went up to her and I was like, what are you about to do? And she's like, I'm about to audition for SNL. What are you about to do? I was like, I'm about to do my first late night set. And we hugged and we we're like, good luck. I, you know, I hope everything works. And it was Chloe Fachtenman. Oh, wow. <laughs> she didn't get that year. She ended up getting the next year. So, um, yeah, sometimes I'll pace, but other times I'll just have a drink, a joint. You know, it's like it depends on the show. It just depends on the show. I, I'm a lot. Sometimes I'm, you know, heart beating out of my chest, can't breathe. But it got to a point um, where I'm not as nervous anymore. But now that we're doing shows online, it's a new, different kind of nervous. It's like, can we stop all these pivots? I, I feel uh, anxiety. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, that that'd yeah. be a, that, that that probably would. I mean, it's kind of good and bad that you run into someone who's like, wait, you're auditioning for SNL? Like, like that just blows up my brain. Oh, like, totally blew my brain. I was <laughs> like, wow. But I was like, this is a good sign. I think it's a good sign that we're both doing this thing and. Yeah. Nerves are the respect we pay our audience. So there's something that's good about. It. I think there's something that's good about being a little nervous. Not not so much that it obviously wrecks your your concentration, but I think it shows that you're you are preparing for something that's important to you, and you want to get it right. And I think that's mm -hmm. your body going. Let's get it together. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It means you care. I think. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you weren't nervous at all and you just walked on. I'd be ner I'd be more nervous somehow because you didn't have that kind of those nerves to go. Let's this is let's do. I don't know. I'm I put a lot of pressure on myself, so I think my nerves are there to go. Like, all right, Drew, yeah. Right. And I see people that say they're not nervous, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think it's more of a positive nervousness than than the mm -hmm. negative nervousness. But whenever I talk to speakers or, or new comics, that's one of the things I say is that, you know, ner nervousness and excitement are really the same body reaction, right? You know, your, your palms get sweaty, you have premonitions about the future. So if you can channel that some way into excitement or maybe you, you have something like 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 you do, is just pace if you, if you got to work off those nerves, but find a way to channel it into excitement is a way you can have. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, shadow box. I'll start busting squats. <laughs> like. She was working out over here, like, trying to get the energy out. I started stretching. It's, it's a lot. I stretch. I, I do. I, I got a couple stretches I do. Uh, as long as nobody's looking. Again, I'm kind of weird about that. Like if somebody's watching me, like especially from the audience, and they see me over there doing my stretches, I'm like, oh, I just don't want to be seen that way. A little downward dog in the hallway. Yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll do the toe touch. I'll just bend down and touch my toes. But I also am at a point where I don't care if people are looking because there were certain times where, like, the Village Underground um, is one of the cellars rooms and for us to walk on the stage it was right in the middle of audience members so i would literally be in there like stretching <laughs> and they're looking at me like she crazy but all <laughs> comics are like oh you up next that's all yeah. <laughs> you're that's the next person <laughs> that's crazy so we're gonna set up this clip uh it's a comedy central clip one of the things we like to do if you can remember back to when you when you filmed it hopefully you know which one we're talking about but uh that day what was how how was that set up how did that come to be anything you want to share with us about the video okay now or after you sh after you torture me with watching my <laughs> no do it up top do it up top <laughs> was it my birthday night i think it was my the night of my birthday oh. i went and filmed that and um I was like, I was just so happy 
to not have too much pressure because they recorded it at a, a place called Littlefield in Brooklyn. And I performed there so many times before. Um, there's a bunch of shows that they've done in Littlefield. So I was at a, I felt at home. I felt comfortable. That's probably one of the m- most comfortable I've ever felt doing something for television or the internet. <laughs> <laughs> a recorded set, a recorded set for many people to see. I was, I was pretty comfortable with that. And you could, you could tell, let me, let me play the clip. Are you ready? I'm, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I've been doing my part for the women's rights movement. I've been catcalling men in the streets. Yes. Come on. Ladies, join me in this endeavor. I don't give compliments, though. Um, I give tips <laughs> on how you guys can do better. I just see a dude walking down the street. I'm like, hey, same as short, same as short, same as short. I don't see no ass. You been skipping leg day, son? What's up? Man bun, man bun, man bun. You'd be cuter if you did some crunches. I mean, it's true. Every time a dude tells me to smile, I tell him to suck it in. And every white man I see, I just say, moisturize your faces. That's all. I don't know why y'all don't do that. Walking around the streets looking like nobody loves you. <laughs> a little dabble, do ya? I'm not good in roommate situations. I'm terrible at it. My recent roommate, she, um, she, she was cool. We got along because uh, we were never home. So you give her an inch, she took a mile. That was the problem with it. She was a dominatrix. That was one of her many jobs, uh, except she wasn't good at it. The way comedians get good at comedy, we do things called open mics. So she was like an open micer of dominatrix thing. (laughs) Bitch ain't have no dungeon. (laughs) Zero clientele. She's advertising on Craigslist. Pretty sure it was illegal. Uh, So she asked me in her very seductive voice. She always spoke in a very seductive voice to me. I'm like, bitch, we're talking about splitting utilities. Why are you giving me this bedroom voice? I'm not having sex with you. And she asked me, when she first started, she's like, Joyelle, is it okay if I bring the slaves over to the house? Are you just gonna say slave to my African-American face like that? Are you kidding me right now? I'm shaking in the corner. I didn't know I needed a new trigger in Trump's America. You calling them slaves? Call them anything else. That'll make me feel better. Call them sharecroppers, all right? So the foot sharecropper came over and... This is my real life. It was the foot slave. Foot slave came over. Uh, This is a white guy who puts on a little maid's outfit and he cleans the house and rubs on her feet as a reward. And I put quotes around clean, cause he's a white dude, y'all ain't good at cleaning. It's not in your wheelhouse, stop it. I was in a motel in Oklahoma, a young white dude was the maid. I put do not disturb on the door. I don't know what you're up to, but you're not using your whiteness to your advantage. So the foot slave came over and, this, and you give her an inch, she takes him out. He's rubbing on her feet in our living room, right? Common space. I was home at the time, right? Minding my business. I was making some toaster strudel. I come out the room to check on my strudel status. I didn't have shoes on. 
So I'm walking past the foot slave while he's rubbing on her feet. But he's staring at mine as I walk across the floor. Never felt this violated in my life, you guys. He was staring at my feet like they were titties. I didn't like that at all. I started covering up my feet with my hands. I was like, hey, buddy, eyes up here, all right? You're missing out on all this good cleavage. I had to put on some work boots to finish my strudel. Why do you have on Timberlands in your house, Joyelle? Because the foot slaves here. That's why. <laughs> oh, man. So we are bad I'm at cleaning. <laughs> look at look at Drew's apartment. He is terrible at cleaning. He's that's I so, I, don't, I don't dust. I just don't do it. I, I need to dusting. I don't. I yeah, no. Um, dusting's hard. A lot of people don't dust. Uh, yeah. I want to ask so, a question. I don't know. Different comics we've talked to have had different takes on this, but you're specifically being a storyteller. I'm curious how you see this truth in comedy. Do you need it? Does it ha- does does there need to be a kernel of truth, or can you just make it up completely from scratch? How do you feel about that? I feel like the audience is always going to be able to tell when you're lying, mm. and I've specifically had this happen where I, I was watching a comic and he was going on about his kid, and when he got off the stage, I was like, "Do you have a kid?" And he was like, no, I just do it for the bit. And I was like, I, I can tell you don't have a kid. Like, I can tell that that's not real. So I'm a huge, you know, uh, advocate for truth. And I think that you, there has to be truth. You know, like comedy, truth meets exaggeration. Exaggerate the truth. But there ha- it has to be a truth-based, um, you know, the foot slave was an Indian dude. So I exaggerated it. It just made it white so I could be rude. But, you know, it's like... He really was great at cleaning. Yeah, you know. (laughs) He he wasn't good at cleaning either. Um, It's funny because I combined them because there was a maid slave who was a white guy. Anyway, so yeah, I think you definitely need to have uh, truth in the joke because the audience will tell. And then I think if the comedian can sense that they're not connected, if there's no truth there, you're not going to connect with the audience. I love that you said that you combined them because what I find is it's rooted in a, in the foundation of truth. And then you take these fragments of truth that, mm-hmm. that, and you bring them together to, to put that story on. And that, that's exactly what I do on stage too. Yeah. Chappelle told me um, his famous bit about uh, the baby. Hey baby. Yeah. That's yeah. It. yeah. Uh, he, he wrote that down and he was like, that happened in a couple of different cities. He was like, you know, one thing happened in St. Louis, the other thing happened. And then he combined them. And I, I um, found that out like the first year of my career. So I was like, oh, okay, we can have the truth, but then you can pull different things to put a, a bigger truth together. That's going to be funnier. Yeah. I, I feel, I just feel better about that personally when I'm telling when I'm on stage, I just feel better about even if it's just a kernel of truth, yeah. even if it's just a tiny little bit and I expanded it way further. I just feel so much more, I don't know, just better and honest and feel like I'm doing the real work because I'm turning real life experiences into comedy rather than just going, OK, I'm like a, a novel writer now and I'm just going to make up some right. stuff like that's a different world. I think that's I think. a totally different world. And and that's there's room for that. You can just make up stuff. But I think comedy, stand up comedy comes from talking about yourself, talking about your life, talking about real things you have observed. And that's what's fun. That's what makes it relatable to people mm-hmm. when they can relate. They're like, oh, I can see the truth up there and I can find a truth in my life that makes me think that's funny. 
Yeah, absolutely. As a storyteller, one of the parts of that bit that I like the most, and it's probably kind of, it's a flyover for a lot of audiences, but it's the point where you're like, we're talking about utilities. Why are you going to be talking to me in that sex voice? <laughs> and, and so that, that kind of draws me in. Uh, and then you have a lot of fun, like Mr. X, you know, like my boots, my boot, you know, my, you need, I should be up here. And so, <laughs> but, but I always fall for like the, the funny little things that are funny to me. Uh, throwaways. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I love throwaways. Those are always my favorite parts of comedians bits because i i feel like those are for us i kind of feel like you know it's like when the audience isn't laughing or they're already laughing at the punchline and then we you know add a couple you know (laughs) things at the end a lot of comedians will be like i like that part the part that they didn't really notice I thought it was, I, I think there's something always good. You did both and I think a little bit in, in this set, particularly, you know, sometimes when you say something like the bedroom voice and the next time you mention it, you have a new, a new way to describe it and you keep doing different, different things every time well, that was fun. But also I love the way you keep pulling back strudel and you keep <laughs> pulling, you keep coming back to foot slave and it's almost like you're winding up a clock or something. So every time you say foot slave and strudel something, it gets a little funnier and it gets a little funnier. And that, that's a fun way to keep kind of wind up the audience with a recurring. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Uh, repetition and cadence yeah. is also good for comedy because comedy right. is mathematical and math is music. And when you hit certain beats, the audience is going to laugh even if they don't want to. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that was just that. Do we just do a bit of schoolhouse rock just then? <laughs> Put a beat on that. <laughs> That's so good. I love it. We pull uh, we pull quotes out from our, for our. We might have to clip that one, Drew. Right. I think that's. I think we got it. I'm gonna. I gotta go back. And what are we? Forty nine minutes in. Okay. I'm gonna go back and check that one. That's gonna be on Twitter later. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, you're right. Though. I mean, finding the music of your bits is, is really what it comes down to. You know, and it. it it uh in some ways it does kind of it can make you feel like you're on autopilot uh, mm-hmm. but then you can be present right so if you know the yeah. beats of the joke now you can really be in the room and maybe you can inject something that's specific to that audience which we've talked about drew that's something that, that really makes them feel like they're having a unique comedy experience uh yeah but yeah hit those beats find that rhythm and and that's when i think you really know that you have a tight bit yeah and i think that's a simple like a cheat, I would say, is one of the things when, like, you know a bit so well, and then you could be in a different city. I'm in Houston, and there's somebody in the crowd who I talked to earlier, who the host talked to, and then I can bring that person into it and just say their name. It's, it's so funny how if you just say someone in the audience's name after a bit, like, right, Brian, and everyone cracks up, you know, and it's like I'm, I'm able to stay present in the room because I'm on I'm on autopilot after a while. So there's nothing. to uh, I think being on autopilot is a good thing sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it helps you work the room better. That's yeah, yeah that it is neat how some and sometimes it makes me angry. It shouldn't. But sometimes like when. <laughs> Like when the cadence, someone's cadence makes like the joke's not the most well-written joke ever, maybe. Yeah. The way it's told and the way that comedian is talking just gets a laugh. Like I love and hate that. Like if it's me, I love it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't that great. (laughs) Why are they laughing at that? Um, And sometimes it confuses me, but I think you're right. There's at some point you can create, there's some cadences and some rhythms that just like everyone falls into it and it just makes them laugh. Yeah. The joke, Sam talent has a joke like that where he goes, this joke is nonsensical. It doesn't really have, it's not a real setup and punchline joke. It's just a silly thing I say, but because of the way I say it, it gets a laugh every time. Yeah. 
He couldn't tell you why it's funny. It's just the way he says it, I guess. There's this comedian, T.K. Kirkland. Um, I would urge a lot of people to look at some of his stuff because he's a very like da 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 And he will really get it. And so the audience is just laughing when he hits that beat. It's so crazy. It's like watching Mozart or something. When he's on stage, we had uh, Sarah, Sarah Tolomash, New York comic, was on here, and she's like that. She's got this rhythm that is just you know where the jokes are, and it's just <laughs> it's on the it's on the same rhythm the whole time, and it stays funny the whole time. She's incredible. Oof, we did the Impractical Jokers cruise in February. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. We, Drew and I were just talking about them before you came on. Yeah, those guys are. I don't know how they do it, but they have taken over. They really have taken over. That cruise will let you know that too. Woo, boy. <laughs> How are their fans? How did you have a good, did you have good sets? Was it enjoyable time? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I can't talk about it. All right. It's international here's waters. Thing, here's the thing. They're there to see them. Ah, uh, yeah. So anything else. I mean, it, I don't, I don't necessarily think that their fans are stand up comedy fans. Yeah. I wouldn't so think so. They just want to see the jokers. So they would come like people would just be walking on our shows with beers sit for two seconds because all the, the jokers are doing something at eight o'clock. So let me uh, sit here. So it was a lot of that. Um, I ended up having a couple of good sets when I didn't give a shit, but I was nervous <laughs> as hell. Cause I was like, I don't, I don't, that first set was terrible. <laughs> so you just got to cash the paycheck and go, well, this was lesson learned. <laughs> that free, part. free cruise or paid for cruise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Man. That's oh yeah. I, I I just love that the the storytelling style is something I I'm trying to get I'm trying to learn more and try to um hear people who do it well. So I mean thanks for for sharing kind of your oh. your experience and your style there cuz that's uh it's nice and I, I really love the true TV stuff. That watching that stuff really has exploded my brain in some different ways to think about um that as an outcome as I'm writing. Right. Yeah. Because I think when, when we were younger, it was like, what was the one with the babies? Yeah. Shorty's watching Shorty. Shorty's watching Shorty. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, animating the set. That's cool. Mm-hmm. But to to bring it to life, like talking over it, like the drunk history. Yeah. I was like, that was so much fun to do and to watch. It yeah, was so to bring in other people into it as well. So there's, yeah. new, there's new actors uh, and actresses coming yeah. in. To be a part of what you're doing It's a fun collaboration. Yeah, I mean, I had to listen to my voice, which hurts. But <laughs> when you get through that, you've been I, all I, these years. I didn't see you. You did Drunk History. I didn't see yours. I, didn't, I haven't oh, watched no, 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 I didn't. Oh. I was just saying how uh, you're talking over the people uh, the way I that you. you did in Drunk How I wanted to do Drunk History so bad. I did Drunk Black History. Oh. That's a podcast. <laughs> what, what story did you tell? Asada Shakur. Oh, all right. Yes. I'm not sure I'm familiar with that one. She's amazing. Black liberation, baby. <laughs> yeah, listen to the episode, Drew. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, okay, so here's the deal. Uh, this is the last thing we do, and it might be hard for us storytellers. It's kind of morbid, but it's called Last Laugh. Let me play the the weird clip real quick. <laughs> I've got to change it. I've got to. Okay, so. Especially during COVID. Okay. So the way it works is that you have you you've got to write on your tombstone one joke. It could be yours. It could be somebody else's. Uh, but something to re- be remembered by. What would be your joke, Joe? What would be my joke to be remembered by? Oh my goodness. Um, 
I don't know. You know what? I'm a huge uh, proponent of abortion rights and women's reproductive rights. And I've done um, a bunch of shows around the country for clinics and things like that. So my abortion story, the, the bit that I wrote about that is one of my favorite bits. And I, I love telling it. I love that I've gotten to a comfortable level of telling it on stage. The first time I told it on stage, I cried. Oh. And uh, and I, I love that bit. And women like will come up to me and just be like, thank you so much. Like it's that that thank you afterwards of taking a very harsh truth, making it funny and making other women feel good about themselves and not feel ashamed. I, I think I'll put that on my tube. So what? Yeah. <laughs> I kind of get some vibes from uh, Ron G there. You know, remember Ron G? Hey, Ron G's in Atlanta. Oh, yeah. I, well, I started comedy in L.A. Ron G and I were uh, doing the Laugh Factory on Sundays. We were doing the New Faces then. Well, Ron G, kind of to your point, Ron G talks a lot about legacy and yeah. talks about you know, making an impact with your comedy. I think that's kind of maybe where you were kind of touching too. Like you feel like that joke made an impact that went beyond just ha ha laughs. It went, it's really, it made a a life impact for some people, including yourself. Yeah, totally. And something that I wouldn't have thought I'd be able to make a joke about. And that's what I do love about comedy is that we can find humor in darkness, like death or whatever you're dealing with. And it's when you make that funny, you can make someone else's life easier. So that's why I love doing stand up because it makes people happy and makes their lives a little easier. See, this is why we do last laugh, Drew. This is this is this is how we we create. You know, as you have a platform that you've built as a as a performer as a comedian, you're using it for good to help people through some tough times. This is why we do it. So thank yes. you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Right now. Yeah. <laughs> so tough. Everybody get a therapist. That's my life. <laughs> yeah. Get a therapist. Winter is coming. <laughs> sure. So we really appreciate you taking the time to be on Breaking Down Bits with us today, Joel. Uh, could you please share uh, what, uh, where people can find you and, and, and anything else you want to share about where, uh, anything you have coming up? Yes, um, I will share that my cash app is Joyelle Nicole, <laughs> and my demo is Joyelle Hyphen Johnson. So if any uh, white people want to give some reparations, you can do that to me directly. Um, <laughs> like, who cares about Instagram and Twitter? Demo and cash app. But I'm Joyelle Nicole across all social media platforms. And uh, yeah, that's me, Joyelle Nicole Johnson. Well, we, we love you for coming on. Thank you very much. Enjoy, enjoy the South, the back in the South in Atlanta. And uh, we hope to to see you out there at some point on a stage, whether it's in Houston or anywhere across the world, back back in Amsterdam where they don't laugh. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> wherever it is. Stage, please. I know it. Yeah. So Everybody thank you very much. Wear a mask. <laughs> please wear a mask. Yes. And this, this has been Breaking Down Bits. We'll be back next week with Mr. J. Jordan. Thank you all for listening. Oh, Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks. Bye-bye. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Breaking Down Bits. You can keep in touch or get more when you follow at Breaking Down Bits on social media. Visit the website BreakingDownBits.com or shoot us an email at BreakingDownBits at gmail.com.